we sometimes think, well, God's not going to use me until my circumstances change. Once I get peace over here, once this is resolved over here, then I'm going to go and serve Him. That is not right thinking. Sometimes my finest hour in terms of serving is when I am in most pain and when I am suffering. Hello and welcome to Living a Legacy with Bible teacher and author Crawford Lorenz. Being joyful, it's not the first thing our minds go to when we encounter difficulty. But if joy is a fruit of the Spirit, why can't we engage it in order to change our perspective about the difficulty? We'll take a look at that here on Living a Legacy. Today it's the second half of last week's message about choosing joy in our circumstances. Crawford is with us here at the beginning of our time. And Crawford, last week we determined that the word choose is the key element when we're in tough times. It absolutely is. And really, we choose joy because Jesus is permanent and uh, that he has defied death. And he's defied that which can ultimately destroy us. God allows hard things to happen to us so that we will embrace the heart reality of our faith and that we will grow and we'll keep moving and not stay where we are. All right. Well, let's pick it up with Crawford's reference to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul reminds the Philippians that he who began a good work in them will complete it. Here's part two of Choosing Joy in Our Circumstances with Crawford Loritz. And he's expressing confidence in God, that God who started the work there at Philippi, he says, I want you to know, I want you, I'm praying, and God is going to do everything that he said he would do in that work, and you don't need to be, you don't need to be discouraged at all. And he's, he's pouring confidence in them that God's on your side, and he's going to work for you. He also expresses hope for them. This this prayer is incredible. Verses 7 through 11, Paul breaks out in prayers for them, and he's really praying God's best for them. Now, he's in jail. Okay? He's in jail. He didn't know if he's going to live or die. We're going to see this in a few moments. He's in jail, and yet he is hopeful for God's best for them. Uh, For the sake of time, let's look down at verse 9. He says here, And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, it's this celebratory prayer that he has on behalf of others. He's in jail. But he writes them. What does he pray for? This vision for those he loves. Number one, he prays for discernment. That line approve what is excellent. I, I, just want you, I just want your mind to be so sharp and crisp with heavenly wisdom that you'll discern the, the good from the absolute best and you'll choose the absolute best. He prays that they'll experience holiness and godliness in their lives. Be pure and blameless. I, I, just, I just want you to run from sin, and I want, I, I want you to pursue him, and I want you to know the joy of living a clean, repentant life and experience that. And he prays for the fruit of the Spirit. 
That's what he means. The fruit of righteousness, which really is the life of Christ. I'm, I'm praying that you'll exhibit that, that biographical sketch that we call the fruit of the Spirit in, in, in Galatians 5. That's really, really the profile of Jesus. I want you to experience that. Wow. It's unbelievable. Paul's in prison. Yet we don't find him mired and isolated in the pain of his own stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, we've all been there. I've had bouts of discouragement. We've all been there. But Paul is teaching us that, look, 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 you, you got a choice. You can either embrace distorted thinking and think that you're all by yourself and have all your prayers focused on you and the pain that you're going through. Or you can make the, de the decision and choice that because Jesus is alive and he's real, and get to this in a, in a moment, I'm going to bless others. And in so doing, be blessed yourself. Number two, not only keep your eyes on others in that right sense, but number two, you keep your eyes on the moment. That's how you, that's how you sustain your joy. You keep your eyes on the moment. That's down in verses 12 through 18. Uh, the point that Paul is making or the application of the thing I would say is that God wants to use you. What Paul is saying in verses 12 through 18 is this, is that he wanted the Philippians to know that there are no accidents with God. Listen, I need to say this right here. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Some of you, and this is a temptation we all have, when we go through a hard time and we go through some suffering and adversity and things don't work out and we get jammed with life, the, the natural tendency for all of us is to so elevate the pain that we're in that we procrastinate our usefulness. And we, we sometimes think, well, God's not going to use me until my circumstances change. Once my circumstances change, once my situation change, once this takes place, once I get peace over here, once this is resolved over here, then I'm going to go and serve him. That is not right thinking. In fact, what I have learned in all these years, and it's taken me a while, what I've learned that sometimes my finest hour in terms of serving is when I am in most pain and when I am suffering. But when I focus on the moment where I am and realize that God wants to use me here. And Paul picks that up in, uh, uh, like I said, in verses 12 through, 12 through 18. And I want to make three observations about this. Number one, look for ways to advance the gospel. That's what he tells us in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul, Paul could have said, hey, wait, man, you know, I don't deserve this. Seriously? You throw me in jail? What did I do wrong? He could have wasted his life away. Prince, you look at it. Tradition says that he was chained to two guards and they had six-hour shifts. Hmm. They can just stand here and watch me wilt away, or who's really in jail? 
I'm free and you have to be here. And what he did was just shared the gospel. It was unbelievable. Paul's confinement was not... This is amazing. See, his confinement was not doing what his circumstances outside of prison could do, but his confinement was doing what his circumstances outside of prison could never do. What are you talking about, Crawford? You see, restriction is not always the loss of freedom. Restriction could be a call to focus. Sometimes we have to let go of what we had in order to receive what God wants us to have. And Paul's confinement was not restriction. God was refocusing his ministry. And Paul saw it that way. And some of us who are going through a time of restriction and suffering and pain and think we can't do the things that we used to do, that does not mean that God doesn't have things for you to do right now. It could be narrowing your focus, redefining what he wants to do in and through your life. And Paul decided to look at it that way. Uh, secondly, look for ways to encourage others. Verse 14 tells us that, uh, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word with, without fear. I can't prove this by the text, but they have a sneaking suspicion that maybe what happened is that as these, Paul was chained to these guards and uh, you know, he's writing these letters and Paul's sharing the gospel with them, a number of them got saved. They gave their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. And maybe, maybe what happened was that they sort of found their way to where these Christians were hiding out and meeting. And they began to share with them what was going on. They said, look, uh, Paul's cool. In fact, that's why I'm here. I gave my heart to Jesus. In fact, I can't wait to get back. And I've asked the commander to give me a double shift. I want to ask him some more questions. And so what took place is that these Folks, these Christians who are watching Paul handle his adversity and his suffering and all of that, they did not see a despondent, depressed man, but they saw one who focused on what he could do in a limited sphere, and God used him, and they said, boy, if God can use you, he can use me. Your, your disappointment might be your finest hour. Your pain might be your finest hour. The question is, Lord God, not why did you let this happen to me? In light of the fact that this has happened to me, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? Use his imprisonment to encourage those. And then I would say thirdly, under this old banner of look, uh, keep your eyes on the moment, look beyond your opposition. Uh, Paul was not, you know, he was not living in denial. He knew what time of day it was. He knew what was happening. He knew what people said about him. When you look at verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former uh, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. He said, I know what's going on. Paul's no longer here. 
let's have a platform, let's pimp his platform, let's use this, let's discredit him and this kind of thing. And Paul could have been bemoaning his circumstances. God, why would you give me that platform of ministry and then take it all away from me? It was at the height of things and people were coming and they were responding. Why does this happen to me? And I'm here in jail and in prison right now. You know, they're lying about me and they're distorting my ministry. Why did this take place? Could have. I'd have been tempted to do that. Why? Paul knew that it wasn't about him to begin with. And he looked beyond where he was. And he focused on what was really important. And thus he says here in verse 18, what then? <laughs> no, what am I going to do about this? I mean, I'm in jail. What then? What am I going to do? Okay. Well, here's what I'm going to do. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Notice, again, the ellipsis here is volition. I choose to rejoice. I choose it. I'm going to rejoice no matter what their motives are because my Savior is being proclaimed and he is being preached. Now, here's the point, though. You can't say that unless you have a strong faith and belief that God is going to take care of you no matter what. And Paul came to that conclusion that I'm not trusting in these things, but God's going to take care of me no matter what. And the issue is not about Paul's prominence. It's not about my bio. The issue is about a Jesus who died on the cross and rose again on the third day. And that's the centerpiece of everything. And some of us, please forgive me, just need to look past ourselves. Get over us. And I'm not trying to shoot the victim or this kind of thing. But there, this, this is terrible, yeah, but there, there, there is a selfishness that's associated with depression and, and, and discouragement. And part of the anecdote to that is to realize that you're useful for God. And I can get over these things if I shift my focus. Which is the third and the final one. I get it. We got to go home on this one. Number three, the way to get out of uh, 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 to maintain your joy is you know you, you you keep your eyes on others and you keep your eyes on the moment. You can't be where you're not. You are where you are. No matter how bad it is, that's where you are. Keep your eyes on the moment. But number three, and I suppose this this really is the ultimate one. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what verses 19 through the end of the chapter is all about. Keep your eyes on Jesus. What, is he, what are you saying here? He, Jesus will sustain you. That's his power. That's our, our, at, at, at our disposal. This is where Paul is. Now, unfortunately, and I'm glad, uh, I'm reading from the English Standard Version here. Um, actually, the last line of verse 18 should be the beginning of verse 19. He talks about himself and what's keeping him going here. And what's keeping him going is Jesus. And that's when he says, yes, I will rejoice. That leads into the statement, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. What, what is he saying here? He said, number one, verse, verse, uh, verse 19, look to Jesus for deliverance. 
Now, you have to understand that Paul is talking about deliverance in several dimensions here because he goes on in the next few verses and he says, look, I don't know if I'm going to get out of here. I don't know if I'm going to die. I don't know if they're going to release me. So he was not talking about a one-dimensional deliverance, but he was talking about a deliverance that goes beyond just his physical deliverance. He's going to deliver me one way or the other. He's going to deliver me in it or he's going to deliver me from it. But my focus is on Jesus. He says, you keep praying for me. And I know, I know that he's going to give me what I need to not only keep moving, but to be joyful. I trust him for that. And notice volitional, he says, and I, I, I will rejoice. In the words of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I am not going to listen to myself. I'm going to talk to myself more than I listen to myself. I'm going to speak to my feelings more than my feelings speak to me. I'm going to tell those negative feelings and that depression. No, I choose to trust the one that is always taking care of me. I choose to do that. And I, I will rejoice. Secondly, he says, determine who you will live for. That's what verses 20 and 21 is all about. You see, this is, remember I said that joy is based on a constant it's based on a constant. That's what makes joy sustainable. If it's not based on that a constant, you, you know, you, <laughs> lots of luck. But it's based on a constant. He says here in verse 20, he says, uh, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with, all, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. See the volitional language? Whether by life or by death, and then again the conclusion, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul had made up his mind what the source of joy would be for him. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? Some of us struggle with joy because it's really a struggle with idolatry. Other things have become greater than Jesus in our lives. Your husband or your marriage has become greater than Jesus. Your children have become greater than Jesus. Your job has become more fulfilling than Jesus. Your career path has become more fulfilling than Jesus. And these are idols. Not that they're wrong. Love your husband, love your wife, live by your vows, love your family, love each other. Well, that's fine. But you got to be careful when, 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 when that becomes your supreme source of joy and you start using Jesus to support this, that's idolatry. So Paul says, I want you to understand something here. Whether I'm on a platform speaking to thousands of people or in some obscure Roman prison where nobody knows me, the issue is the same. I made up my mind that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he can sustain me whether there's strokes on the back, people wanting autographs, or nobody knows who I am. And until you make that decision, joy will be fragile and elusive in your life. And he says, finally, remember suffering is evidence of your commitment to Christ. So verse 29 is all about. Yeah, this is really crazy here because in context, he's implying that suffering is not a joy robber. 
By the way, did you know that suffering, uh, uh, sorrow, and joy are not opposites? That you can be sorrowful, but be joyful? You can weep over loss and feel pain, but not despair. And the reason why you don't despair, even though you feel real pain, I've been there, been there, been there, been there, been there many times. The reason why you don't despair is because you understand that despite the pain and the sorrow that I'm going through right now, that my Lord knows the way through the wilderness and that he's on his throne and that he raised the dead Jesus and that all power is in his hand and that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for some, somehow, some way, we will get through this. That's joy, even in the midst of sorrow. So what you have to understand is that suffering is not the antithesis of joy. You kidding me? Thus he says in verse 29, for it, is, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in his name, but also suffer for his sake. Three perspectives, implications. One, opposition and adversity should not be a surprise to any follower of Christ. You shouldn't be surprised and neither should I when things go wrong. It's not a surprise. It's part of our calling. Suffering is part of it. I think the second implication is that suffering should not be considered accidental or divine punishment. Now, to be sure, let me make a distinction here. Some of what we call suffering is not suffering, it's consequences. Uh, you lie to your wife and she says, my wife's not speaking to me. Well, that's your consequence. You, you do something unethical and you get canned from your job. That ain't suffering, that's consequences. So he's not talking about consequences, he's talking about legitimate suffering and, and that, that, you know, uh, suffering should not be considered accidental or divine punishment. And I think thirdly, and here's the point, I really believe he's driving it, so believing on Christ and suffering for him are both associated, here you go, with the grace of God. It's a privilege. Now, he's not saying that we should ask for it, but it's a privilege. None of these things destroy our joy. In fact, they enhance it. Pain enhances our joy. Adversity enhances our joy. Because suffering and pain stirs up longing for our Savior. It puts us in a sweet place trust him. But the issue is, are you choosing joy? Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy. Choose joy in our circumstances. The title of today's message. Well, here are some highlights. Number one, look for joy in circumstances by repositioning your focus. Number two, suffering still provides opportunities to reflect God's joy. And number three, keep your eyes on the moment and on Jesus. Well, if you joined us late in today's broadcast, you can hear the complete message on our website. Go to livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. And all of Crawford's messages are available to download for free. Look for the MP3 link. 
Thanks so much for your emails. We recently heard from Kenneth, who says, I'm enjoying the teaching of God's Word through Living a Legacy. My wife and I moved to an area without Living a Legacy on radio. Thank you for having the Moody app so I can listen to the program. Well, thank you so very much, Kenneth. Hope many of you will write soon. Let us know how you're progressing in your walk with Christ through the teaching of Living a Legacy. Look for the Contact Us link on our website, livingalegacy.org. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.